All of you guys, I was really excited when Gordon asked me to come speak in chapel. First of all, you guys are, are crazy. I don't know how in the world they changed chapel from 10.30 a.m., which is what it was when Katie and I were here. Katie and I were in the same class. And now you guys will have to be here at 8 o'clock. I think I would have slept through most of the chapels that I went to if I would have had to be at chapel at 8 o'clock. So you guys are impressive. I'm glad they <laughs> brought chapel into the gym uh, so you can't fall asleep because you have to sit on these hard chairs all morning long. But I remember uh, very clearly it was exactly 10 years ago, Gordon, that you said when Mr. Schreiber in a class gave us a piece of paper and on that piece of paper it laid out what do you want to be doing in five years. And I was a senior in high school and we were supposed to think about what we wanted to be doing after college. And I had no idea what I wanted to even go to college for yet at that point, let alone what I wanted to be doing in five years. And so what did I do to write a good paper? Well, I made it all up. (laughs) I wrote whatever I wanted to write on that, and I I think I did well enough. Sorry, Mr. Schreiber. I apologize for that. And I wrote whatever I needed to write on that, and I think I did fine on the assignment, but I never would have ever guessed I would be here speaking in chapel with you guys. I mean, I was the guy over in the Music and Worship Center when I was in junior high who made it my goal to try to make Mrs. Wishmeyer cry every day in class. So that's not a good thing. Don't get any ideas, Mr. Flynn. I probably shouldn't have said that. I don't think any of the junior high boys will try that to you. But I would have never, uh, <laughs> never guessed that I would have the chance to be back here with you this morning, and it is only by God's grace changing my life, doing incredible things in me that I never would have thought were possible, that I get to come speak here with you. So, I'm sure most of you are not thinking someday I'll be speaking at chapel, but you never know. I bet, I bet many of you will. So before we jump in, I'm going to pray one more time for us. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you've given us life and breath today. Lord, and that because you've given us life and breath today, you want to do something in us and through us. This is not just another day to go through life. This is a day you want to change us, to continually make us new, and to use us in your great mission of changing the world with the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray that you do that in us this morning. I pray that you do that in me this morning as we dive into your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I want to start off uh, this morning and ask each of you a question, and this is not a rhetorical question, so I need you to raise your hand if it's a yes or a no to this, but how many of you this morning want to waste your life? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Nobody? How many, truly, this is a question, how many of you this morning truly want, desire to waste your life? Nobody? Nobody? I don't even have the snarky junior high guy in the front who wants to make a scene. Nobody, nobody really wants to, to waste your life. So you don't want to take the greatest gift that you've been given, which is your life today, and, and nobody here, nobody here wants to waste it. Okay, that's what I anticipated. I didn't think we would have anybody in this room this morning that wanted to waste your life. So then I have another question for you. So it's really another uh, a statement for you. Because I believe that most of you here this morning in this room are wasting your life. Okay? If somebody comes up to you and they tell you that you're wasting your life, that should give all of us a little bit of a pause. I don't want you to think I'm some angry person or I'm coming at you and, and you're probably asking, how in the world can this guy I've never met before tell me that I am wasting my life? 
How could I tell you that? Well, the truth of the matter is I haven't met many of you before. There's a few faces I recognize, but for the most part, I don't know you. But what I do know is 10 years ago, I was sitting in these very bleachers. And I was wearing the same shoes you were wearing. I, I had the same goals that you have. And I, when I was sitting here, was wasting my life. I was wasting my life. And many of the people around me in my senior class were doing the exact same thing. In fact, I would say almost all of us were doing the exact same thing. We were wasting our life. We were taking this gift that we've been given that none of you said you wanted to waste. And we're wasting it. We're wasting it. And it might not look like it on the outside. For me, it didn't look like it on the outside. It looked like I had everything figured out. Everything was good. You know, I was getting good grades. Many of you are getting good grades. Many of you are excelling in sports. You're doing really well. You're going to get scholarships. You're studying hard. Everything on the outside looks good. You're going to a Christian school. How could you possibly be wasting your life? And this is a really good question. And a question that I want to dive into Scripture and talk a little bit about this morning and show you, hey, maybe, maybe what I said is true. Maybe most of us here today are wasting our lives. And maybe there is something better for us than just what we do on the outside. As we dive into that, we're going to talk about a man who had the secret of what it was like to not waste his life. He had figured it out. And he gives us his formula, if you will, for not wasting his life in the scriptures. And this is going to be a verse that many of you are probably familiar with. For some of you, it might be your life verse. For me, what we're going to talk about this morning is my life verse. So if you fall asleep, I'm going to be especially offended because this is my life first. No, I'm kidding. It'll be fine. We're going to study, guys, Paul this morning, and we're going to look at Philippians uh, chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, it looks like most of you do have your Bibles this morning. Open up with me to, uh, to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start reading in verse 4. Now, if you don't know, I'm sure many of you have studied Philippians or are studying Philippians But this whole book is a book about how we can have joy. That's something we all want to have, right? How we can have joy in our life. And in this few verses right here, which like I said are my favorite verses in all the Bible, Paul is going to tell us how first we cannot have joy. This is how you don't have joy. And what he's going to tell us at the beginning is how I think most of us are probably living today. And in the second part he's going to tell us how you can truly have joy. So let's jump in and read that. We're going to start off in verse 4, and then we're going to read all the way down several verses. Verse 4. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. What Paul is saying, even in that first verse, is if anyone can be confident in the things that they have done, I can have more confidence than anyone else. What Paul's saying in that verse is, hey, I'm the man, okay? I got life figured out, and this is how I can prove it to you. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day, a nation of the nation of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. I was found blameless. When Paul says righteousness, which is in the law, he's talking about the Old Testament law. How many of you know how many laws there were in the Old Testament law? 
Anybody have a number? Shout it out for me if you think you know. What'd you say? 90? Did I hear 90? Keep going up. It's more than 90. 90 might be the rules you have to follow at NC. It's even more than those rules. Who said 600? Very close. Marilla, good job. 613. There were 613 laws that Paul said he was following, and he said he followed them perfectly. He said he was blameless in 613 laws. I don't know about you, but I have a hard enough time following the speed limit and listening to stop signs when I drive down the road. And so following 613 laws sounds exhausting to me. But what Paul is saying when he lists off all of these accomplishments is this is how I was wasting my life. And this is how all the rest of you can waste your life by fulfilling a set list of accomplishments that you're supposed to do. Many of us have this idea in our heads that if only I could do this, then I would, then I would really accomplish something in my life. If only I could, could get that 4.0 GPA this semester. That's not something I thought about, but something many of you probably think about. If only I could, could get that girlfriend. If only we could win the state championship. Man, those are the things that we really think and focus on when we wake up in the morning. What is that thing that drives you, that motivates you, that makes you do what you do? And Paul said, if that is something that you're working towards, some box to check off, then you are wasting your life. I told you at the beginning, when I was at Nebraska Christian, I was was wasting my life. Now, I don't think any of the teachers that I had at that time, and many of them are still here today, uh, would have said, oh man, that Sam Krug looks like he's a kid who's really wasting his life. In fact, it probably looked like that I had a lot of things put together when I was at NC. I was the, the student body president my junior and senior year when I was at Nebraska Christian. I was the, the captain of the football team. I was the president of the choir, which I don't know how that happened because I can't sing all that well. But I was the president of the choir. I was on the National Honor Society. And, and I was even uh, awarded this, uh, the Shield Award. Right here, right? Oh, there we go. I thought you were really impressed that I won the Shield Award. So that makes a little bit more sense. That fell over. We're just going to leave it there for now, I guess. Thanks. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so funny. Okay. I really did think you were so impressed that I won the Shield Award. I was like, these, they've really hyped this up recently. They have really done a good job of talking about this being a big deal. Well, the truth of the matter is, is it really, it really isn't that big of a deal. Most of you have probably never seen this. It hangs outside the gym, and my name is right here on the bottom. And I was so proud when I won this award. And I felt like, man, I have accomplished so much. And there are many days where I really, really felt like And I was just killing it in life. I was just killing it. And there are probably a lot of you here this morning who are feeling the same way, that you're just killing it because of all the things that you're able to get done. But I will tell you that there were many days in my life that when I didn't accomplish something on a given day, that I felt empty, that I felt alone, that I felt lost, that I felt like my life was not worth very much. And the truth of the matter was, At that point, it wasn't because I was putting my stock, my value, what I was worth and all the things that I could do 
And that's what Paul says he was doing for the first part of his life. I wanted to serve God with my life, but in reality I was using being a good Christian and God to serve myself. I wanted to see my name on those plaques. I wanted to see my name on the walls. And that what was most valuable to me. And that is wasting it. That is wasting our lives. And that's exactly what Paul says in the next verse. In verse 7, he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things. How many things? It's an easy answer. How many things did he count as loss? All things. That's good. You're kind of awake. How many things did he count as loss? All things. He counted all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. This is my favorite passage in all of Scripture because this right here is who I want to be. And no matter where you're at in your relationship with God, whether you're not a Christian yet, you haven't trusted Jesus, or you're someone who's been a Christian for a long time, this passage applies to you. In the first verse, uh, I was never great at English when I was in NC, but I noticed something really interesting about the first verse in that every time Paul talks in that verse, he's talking in the past tense. So what Paul is doing here, and what I want to talk to you about today, <clears throat> or I want to talk about in this verse, is the unbelievers. In this verse, Paul is talking to people who haven't trusted Jesus as their Savior yet. So if you're here this morning, you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior yet, this verse is talking clearly to you. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, he's talking about what it was in the past, those things I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He's talking about a decision that he made in his past. He's talking about his conversion. He's talking about when he trusted Jesus. And when Paul trusted Jesus, he had to give up everything. Everything. Many of you know that for the first part of Paul's life, and he lists those first things off, but what he was doing was he was persecuting Christians. Not only was Paul persecuting and making fun of Christians, but Paul killed Christians. And now he's supposed to become a Christian? Can you imagine? Can you imagine killing a certain group of people and then trying to become one of those people? If Paul became a Christian, I'm sure he had the thoughts of, what are people going to think? What are people going to do? How is my family going to respond to me if I trust Jesus, this person that I've been trying to, to push down, this person I've been trying to squash so his name goes away, so Judaism thrives? And that's exactly what Paul had to do to become a Christian. He had to give up everything he had ever done. And I know there's quite a few of you here this morning that for you to become a Christian, it means you're going to have to give up everything that you've ever done. It means you're going to have to take everything that you've learned, everything that you've thought, everything that you've studied in your life, and you're going to have to walk away from all of those things. It's going to mean that you're going to have to likely sacrifice family. You're going to likely have to sacrifice friends. You're going to have to likely sacrifice possibly a job, depending on which country you live in. 
So that question that Paul is answering for those of us who haven't trusted Jesus yet is, is Jesus worth everything? Not just, is Jesus worth anything, but is Jesus worth everything? Is it worth the cost to step aside from everything else that I've ever known to trust Jesus? That's a weighty question. That's a heavy question. That's one uh, that I know has been on, on several of your minds in conversations that I've had with some of you before. And what Paul answers to that question, after years of being a Christian, after years of walking away from all these things, is he says, yes, Jesus is worth it. There is nothing better in the entire world than trusting Jesus. And Jesus offers every single one of us this morning an opportunity to wipe the slate clean. To take every sin that we have ever committed and wash it away. And that is worth more to me than anything I can imagine. And not only that, but Jesus is offering an opportunity for us to not be defined by all of the things that we do anymore. He's offering us an opportunity to be defined by what he did for us on the cross. That is that he loves us. We are valuable. There's life. There's joy. So is Jesus worth giving up everything for? And Paul says the answer is yes. In the second part of this passage, Paul doesn't just address unbelievers, but he addresses believers. So the second part is for a lot of us in this room. Verse 8. He says, More than all these other things, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, so I may gain Christ. How many of you know what the word rubbish means? We don't use that word anymore. It sounds like an English word. I don't know why they chose this word to translate it. So who can help me? Since most of us maybe don't know, what does the word rubbish mean? Trash? That's a good answer. That's, that's right. Rubbish is trash. What else does rubbish mean? What's that? Worthless? Yep. Rubbish means worthless. And if you go all the way back and study Greek, rubbish literally means, and it sounds funny to say it in Nebraska Christian, but l- rubbish literally means poop. Okay? That's what he's talking about when he says it. It feels funny. My old teachers are here. I shouldn't say that, especially in chapel. But that's what it means. Rubbish means poop. And in fact, in one definition, uh, back in Greek, rubbish means a half-eaten corpse. So picture that for a second. A half-eaten corpse. That's not a pretty picture. That's kind of uncomfortable to think about and talk about. It's uncomfortable for me to say and look at you with a straight face with, all the junior high boys are laughing because I said poop in chapel. And it is, uh, but what it is supposed to, to mean and, and say is that everything in compared to Jesus is like a half-eaten corpse. Man, that's not a pretty picture. And truthfully, and I don't know many of you, but that is not how I usually live my life every day. I do not usually value my relationship with God so highly that everything else in my life is a half-eaten corpse. And I doubt that many of you value your relationship with Jesus so 
deeply that everything else in your life is like a half-eaten corpse. That girlfriend that you have, your family, your friends, school, sports, do you treat all of those things as nothing compared to your relationship with Jesus? I have a long way to go on that. I admit to you, but that's where I want to be. And it if we don't value our relationship with Jesus so much that everything else is deemed worthless, then every single one of us here this morning is wasting our life. Because there is so much more that God wants for us. So what does that look like? How do we make that tangible? We talk about these nice things and giving Jesus all of our life, but what does that really, really mean to look at our relationship with Jesus, knowing God more, as a half-eaten corpse. <laughs> the best analogy, the best example that I could think of is, uh, is being in a new relationship. Now, some of you maybe are dating. Some of you are probably not. But I think all of us probably have an idea of what it feels like to, to want to be in a relationship with somebody else. And I'm talking about a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, okay? I'm not talking about your friends. But a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship where you have this person on your mind when you wake up in the morning... You have this person on your mind when you go to bed at night. You have this person on your mind when you're in science class, when you're in PE, when you're in English class. No matter what you're doing, you are thinking always about this one particular person. Some of you are kind of smiling. You know what I'm talking about a little bit. Maybe you have that boy over here who you kind of have a crush on and you think about him all day long. So that's what I'm talking about and that's what this is talking about when it says we are supposed to value our relationship with Jesus more than anything else. When we think about him night and day, no matter what we're doing, we think about wanting to know him more, thinking about how we can be more like him. And I don't know, again, about the rest of you, but I am still so far away from that. And that's what Paul says as he continues on in this passage. In verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. I do not regard myself of having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. So I hope when many of you think, I am wasting my life today, that motivates you to change so that your life is not wasted anymore, that you can draw nearer to Jesus, you can draw nearer to knowing God. I hope that's true of many of you today. And, and when you hear this, what he, Paul is saying is that we're not going to get there overnight, that it is going to take hard work, that you have to put in the time to use your life and the truth is, a lot of us next week, our lives are going to look exactly like they do this week. But I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. So what is it going to take for you in your life to be different? Some of you need to, to work on studying God's word more faithfully. Some of you need to work on prayer. Some of you need to work on fellowship. I don't know what it is in your life, but you have to ask yourself this morning, what's standing in my way of knowing God more. 
What is standing in my way of knowing God more? What is standing in my way of making sure that I don't waste my life? And you've got to do whatever you can to get those things out of the way, to run the race, to persevere. When you're getting ready for track, you work out every single day diligently for the prize. And that's a perishable prize. That's a prize that in eternity doesn't matter. How much harder should we be working today for an imperishable prize? For something that is going to last for eternity. I think that should motivate us far more. Now my, this fell over, but I want you all to imagine with me that, uh, that this rope that I have here this morning is your existence. And if we believe that the Bible is true, and it is true, that I want you to picture this rope being eternity. Millions and millions and millions of years is this rope. I want you to picture your life being this little red part right here. Everybody see that? This little red part. And these are all of your years. And most of us spend all of our time thinking about this red part. We think about how we can be comfortable in this life, how we can have fame in this life, how we can be well-known here in this red part. We spend all of our time thinking, man, if I work really hard here, then I can enjoy this right here. This is going to be great. I'm going to love it. But we fail to think about this. We fail to think about this. And 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 this rope could go on and on and on and on. But our time on earth is this big. And the Bible says that how we live our life during this red part right here will determine how the rest of this goes. So you have a chance today. You have an opportunity to not waste this and to live for this. And you're going to have a lot of people in your life, if you're living for this, they're going to say you're crazy. How you're living your life, it's going to affect this end part right here. And you can say you're crazy. How I'm living my life is going to affect the rest of this. And that's what I want to live for. I hope that's what you all want to live for as well. You have an opportunity today to not waste your life. And the way you can choose to not waste your life is by dedicating that life to knowing God more. To make Him your highest aim, your greatest goal. Not so that you can become more well-known, not so you can get your name on Goofy plaques that don't matter. But so you can live eternity in heaven satisfied with God because you didn't waste this. I spent a lot of my time at NC wasting this short part. And in the years afterward, God, through pain and hardship and challenge, changed that in many ways for me. And so I pray that each of you remember this rope. Remember that you have an eternity to live for. It's not just tomorrow. It's an eternity. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for the truth that it teaches. I thank you that you have given us an opportunity today by by studying this book to not just coast through life, 
as most people in this world and even most people in this room are doing and, and are going to do. But Lord, you have given us the greatest opportunity in the world to not waste our life, but to spend it pursuing you, to spend it pursuing the creator of the universe, the God who deeply desires to know us. Lord, and there is nothing better in this world than truly knowing you. I pray that as we go about our day today and as the distractions come and we're so easily forgetful of Lord, what our highest aim is, Lord, that you would keep these pictures and these truths on our mind, that you would help us to think about whatever it is that is standing in our way, Lord, of knowing you more and to get that out of our lives, to make you our highest priority. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to walk with you each day. I thank you for Nebraska Christian. I thank you for these students who do love you we're going to impact the world. And Lord, I pray that you use them today. In Jesus' name I pray.